The name of the sermon today is The Love of God. And uh, when I was preparing for this and, and I had this video, I said, I've got to, to, to play that. And as I've said before, music is important in my life. I don't perform, I don't sing, but I, I really enjoy it. And I, I enjoy, when I've done this in the past, when I've played music, watching the crowd. And I can see I'm not the only one that enjoys good music. And Someday, I can sing like that. And uh, I can't wait. I want to thank Connie for coming and playing today. I remember hearing her and always admiring her her expertise at the academy playing the piano years ago. And, and this is the first time that I'm, I've heard her in Green Bay and different things, but it's the first time that I got to share the, the program with her, and I appreciate that, Connie. Thank you, and John, for coming. Um, let's uh, take a moment and uh, bow our heads. Lord, we have a, a, a great... chance to come together and learn more of your love and what we've been looking at in the in the quarterly studying about your love and we we can't grasp and comprehend the love that you have for us but hopefully through some of the lessons today that uh, we can each learn something that'll help i pray in your name amen on the memory verse Jeremiah 2.25. I like different versions of the Bible. And uh, in the New International Revised Version, it says, Do not run from other gods until your sandals are wore out and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love those gods. I must go after them. How many people are running in wearing out their sandals. I was listening to Slurring radio station 102.7 um, yesterday. I was up in the North Woods up there. And uh, you got to only listen to what, what channels come through. <clears throat> but I listened to a lot anyways. And there was a guy in there that was talking about a, a so-called great evangelist that's on the news right now. And if I said his name, you would, you would know and he doesn't preach doctrine. He doesn't preach revival. All he's saying is, come to God and God will make you rich. He will fulfill all your wildest needs. And he's filling stadiums and arenas. But he's not affiliated with a church. And he's saying, just come and love God. And God's going to love you. So let's look a little bit here in, uh, in, in Jeremiah 2. Uh, I want to start on verse 20. And I, I want to go and, and do a little bit of a Bible study on this. <clears throat> Jeremiah is one of those hard books in the front of the Bible to find sometimes. But Jeremiah 2, starting with verse 20. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off my bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high mountain and every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute. Verse 21, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. Then 
how then did you turn against me and corrupt and, and become a wild vine? I'm reading from the New International. So here God is, is talking to the, to the Israelites, his chosen people, and he's saying, I have laid out these things for you. I broke your yoke. I broke your yoke of bondage. I took you out of Egypt. And here you are. You're just running around. You're, you're doing everything against me. Verse 22, although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before you, declares the sovereign Lord. How can you say, I am, I am not defiled? I have not ran after Baals. See how you, how you have be, behaved in the valley? Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel she running here and there, wild donkey accustomed to the desert. Sniffing the wind of your craving in your heart, excuse me, in the heat of your restraint her. Any males who pursue her, pursue them, will, will not tire. Going to verse 20 or 25. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry, but you said, it is no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. So you're running. Going back to verse 24, it says, sniffing the wind in her craving. I was in agriculture for over 20 years. And I remember this one time I got in, I, I got in some calves, and they came in on Thursday. And they came in from out of state, and they were just listless. I couldn't get them to eat. I couldn't get them to drink. So the sale was Monday morning in Seymour. So I said, okay, these calves, they're not, gonna, they, they're not responding to me. I'm going to take them into the sale barn on, on Monday morning. Somebody can have them for hamburger at McDonald's. So we go all weekend. We had to help them stand up. They wouldn't eat, wouldn't drink, nothing. So we're taking them out and wasn't that worried about them. We had to take them through the feed room, out to the truck, put them in, and put them in the trailer. As soon as they walked out the door, and up to this point they're walking with their heads down and just kind of stumbling, they walk out that door. Breath air, the, the fresh air, they breathe that. Nose went up. And for the next 45 minutes, I was taking a tour of my farm. <laughs> the one we caught because it got tangled up in the fence in the back 40 and wore out, and I had to carry it back. So... When I come across a stiffening the wind of her cravings, I understand, but I have seen that firsthand. People get that, that fresh air. Oh, there's something new here. Man, I'm gone. But what are they finding? Verse 26, as a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, they say, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs on me and not their faces. Yet, now watch this, verse 27, the last half. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save me. What happened to their gods of wood and stone? Now all of a sudden, they're, they're not concerned about them. Verse 28, where then are the gods that you had made for yourselves? Let them come and, and, and save you. For you have, you have as many gods as there are towns in Judah. 
It's, it's interesting going through that. Those that leave God wander aimlessly as a vagrant, as a vagrant of lust is insatiable. They made images for themselves and gave honor to them, not only the common people, but even the kings and the princes. But the key is they made them. So how can they save them? And then when you look at verse, or excuse me, at chapter 23, verses 12 and 13, it says, Go proclaim this message toward the north. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Now this is showing that sign of love. Okay, you're chasing, but God is saying, come back. Verse 13, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree. And not yet have obeyed me, declares the Lord. But if you ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive you. Here God is telling his people, repent and follow me, and I will forgive you. Ask and you shall receive. Psalms 4, 2 so how long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you live delirious and seek false gods? Psalms 136.2, give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. So what is this love of God? The love of God is greater far than tongue nor pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned them from sin. Some of you might recognize this. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll Contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Powerful words. And there's a refrain that goes along with that. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. That was written by Frederick Lehman and arranged by his daughter back in 1919. Powerful song. Could we, the ocean... Fill it with ink. And the parchment is as big as the sky. We couldn't write all the blessings that God has given. So getting back to this love thing. I I remember all in the family before there was Nick, Nick at Night. Now just close your eyes and think about this. We're looking at the living room of all in the family. Michael, meathead, and Gloria, my little goyle, 
are sitting on the couch, kissing each other. I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. And Edith looks over at Archie and says, Archie, do you love me more? Puts his paper down, looks over his glasses, and he says, Edith, I told you at our wedding I loved you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) I've tried that. It doesn't work. (laughs) So there's, there's many kinds of love. So let's look at some of the some of the stories of the love of God. Turn your Bible to Luke 15, and we're just going to brush through a couple of these. In, in Luke 15, it starts out with the parable of the lost sheep and how this, this shepherd has lost a sheep and he stops everything to go and find that one lost sheep. And then when he finds it, he celebrates. He says, rejoice with me in verse, at the end of verse 6, rejoice with me, I have found my, my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who did not repent. So it's not saying you've got to live the perfect life, but you've got to repent. And then, starting in verse 8, it's got the parable of the lost coin, where this lady, she lost her, her coin. She's looking all over. She can't find it. She sweeps her halls, tears the whole thing upside down. And when she finds it, in verse 10, the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in the in the commentaries, it says here the, the, what she's looking for is basically a day's wages. But now here's the real story of love, starting in, in, uh, in verse 11, where it's talking about the, 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 parable, uh, the, the parable son, or the prodigal son, I mean. So... We, we know the story. There's two sons. And the one says, son says, you know, Dad, I'm tired of working for you. I want my inheritance. I don't want to sit around here and wait for you to die. You've got a lot of money. Give me my half now. I'm paraphrasing. So the father says, okay, fine. If that's what you really need and really want. So he figures out what he's worth. He gives gives that portion to his son, and he goes off and lives the great life. He sees everything, does everything, gets to meet all these important people, and he is the most important person on this earth. Until he runs out of money. Then nobody knows him. And then he's sitting there, in verse 15, so he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country, who sent him out to feed pigs. And now here's a Jew feeding pigs. And kind of a wealthy Jew. And he's sitting there and he's saying, you know, there's something wrong here. Looking at verse 17, how many of my, my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He's eating with them. 
It's, it's not right. So he decides, okay, I'm going home. I'm going to go back home because I know my father loves me. And all I want him to do is just offer me a job. I will be a, just as a servant to him. And what is the reaction that he gets as he's coming down the road? I was excited last week that Lance was coming home for alumni weekend. And I'd been communicating with him. I knew he was coming. This father didn't know when, when he was coming, but he kept waiting and just hoping that the lights would come on and he would see that he needs to come home to a loving father. So he's coming down. The father sees him. In verse 20, it says, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Verse 21, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. His son is there. So everyone is happy, right? Not, no, not the brother. Verse 28, he says to his father, Look all these years I have slaved for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young, as so much as a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But now the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home you kill a fatted calf for him? There's some family issues. My son, the father said, you were always here with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. That's the love of God. Let's turn to Matthew 7. Starting in verse 7, in Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, uh, on the caption on the New International, it says, Ask, seek, knock. Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will open. Which of you of your son's Ask for bread and you'd give him a stone, or ask for a fish and give him a snake. If you then, even though are, who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So when you're, when you're asking her, does this say this is going to fulfill all your wildest dreams and goals and ambitions? No, it's going to give you what you need. Okay, now a lot of us, me, have a misconception of what our needs are. Thankfully, God has taken care of my needs, not all my wants, but he has taken care of a lot of my wants. It's proud to be up here and seeing my son playing music. That wasn't a need, that was a want that the Lord gave me, and I appreciate that. 
Dave was surprised that his son was playing the bass today. That wasn't a need that Dave and Wanda wanted, but it sure is a nice want. In John 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. Let's turn to John. This is... This is such an interesting story. Jesus is talking... They, they've, I'm, I'm going to move ahead here a little bit, starting with verse 1. Jesus has been preaching, and the, the Pharisees are accusing him of preaching and baptizing when he's not baptizing. It's his disciples that are baptizing. But anyways, they're starting to rumble and complain, so Jesus says, okay, it's, it's time for us to go. So they start heading to Samaria. Now, what's important with Samaria, that's where the Samaritans live. And the Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. So in verse 5, so he came to the town in Samaria called Shira, and near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was here, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came up to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan said, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? So Jesus is basically where Jews shouldn't be, even though it's the well of Jacob, or else she was just out of her range and coming over there. But here he is, and he encounters this woman. In the Jewish culture, men weren't supposed to talk to women. Women weren't supposed to be out moving around without a chaperone, even, even now. In, in, in 2012, they're not supposed to be doing that. But he asks her for water. And it starts a debate there. Jesus says, if you give me water... She says, well, he says, she says, get it yourself. He says, well, if I wanted water, well, I wouldn't be thirsty. I could do it myself, and I could keep t- take care of you. Let's go on in verse 16. He told her, go and tell your husband to come back. He starts witnessing. She's giving him the water. And they're, they're talking, and this is what we're talking about in Sabbath school today, part of that hospitality, bonding, getting to know people. As I, I said in Sabbath school, and I've been involved in a lot of civic organizations through the years, and I've always I, I learned one thing early on. If you want people to come, you've got to feed and water them. I was a farmer. But you've got to feed and water them. In church, feeding water is, 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 you know, is more biblical, preaching and teaching with them. But if, if you want people to come... You've got to get them what they need, what they want. In verse 16, he says, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I 
I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship in the Father near in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So they're talking. She's not lying to them. She's not being totally upfront. But she's not lying to them. And Jesus isn't really condemning her. He's just saying, I know who you are and I know about you. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. You, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So he's witnessing. He's not standing up in front or preaching to a crowd. He's, he's right there talking one-on-one. And she's getting it. She's realizing this person is someone special. So then, to, to paraphrase here a little bit, he says, okay, go tell the people in the city and have them come back and I will preach to them. So she goes, the disciples come back wanting to know what all's going on. And we jump down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of the words, many, were, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Jesus talked, preached, shared with these people for two days. And many were baptized. How many days is Jesus talking to you? Or are you still counting? John 3.16, in the New Living Version, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever puts his trust in God's Son will not be lost, but will have life that lasts forever. In the New International, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the King James says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. I remember years ago I bought some wood 
uh, from a neighbor in a, in a pickup load, and he was helping me throw it in the basement. And the kids were real little. They were in the inside the house. Of course, it was cold, and they were watching from the window, and we were throwing the wood down, and and, uh, and we were talking, and and his name was Joe, and he says, uh, how many kids do you have? I says, I got three boys. He says, well, that's good. That's good. Uh, how many more are you going to have? And I says, no, we got three boys. We're done. And he says, are you sure? And I says, oh, I know I'm done. And he says, well, that's too bad. That, that's too bad, he says, uh, because I, I knew his family. I knew his son, and he had, I think they had ten, ten kids, eight boys and two girls. And he said to me, he says, you know, he says, it's good to have a big family, so that way if you lose one, you still got plenty of helpers. I thought that was kind of interesting. But now you're looking here at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For whoever believes in him shall not perish. So what do we have to do for this love? Hebrews 8.12 For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Many of us here are, are parents. Kids have done something. We've forgiven them. We have done things as kids and been forgiven. But humans, we still remember. We're here. They will be remembered no more. Hebrews 10, 16 to 18. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. That's the true love of God. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness. Then our wildest dreams and our wants can come true. Doesn't mean you're going to get a new vehicle. Doesn't mean you're going to get a new car. But when you get to heaven, you're going to have a, you're going to have a new house, and you're not going to need a vehicle. Dear Lord, great is Thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new memories, new mercies I see. All I have needed. Thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen.